Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Roger Federer has fallen in the quarterfinal at Wimbledon 2021 to Hubert Hercoc. Novak Djokovic is moving on to the semifinal after a straight set victory over Martin Fucevic. Well, look, Roger Federer has lost in majors before. We're going to start with him, but the, the manner in which he lost made this pretty unique, obviously. Uh, his age kind of compounds that that feeling of uh, a little bit of doom, I'd say, especially in the third set when he gets bageled in the third set for the first time since the Roland Garros final in 2008 against Nadal. This one, uh, again, far different circumstances. And I don't remember him losing a match at a major this comprehensively uh, since Chilich at the 2014 U.S. Open. I mean, this this was uh, this was a very startling way to lose, not necessarily the fact that he lost. Well, better it seems, you know, he gets off to the slow start. And I, we were noting how he was kind of a little slow out of the gates. And then he's up 4-1 in the second set. So, okay, he's going to be kind of parody here. And we're going to kind of reset and see what happens in the thirds. And then it just kind of went a little sideways, particularly that tiebreaker was really strange. Uh, some shots he missed that he never missed. Uh, two all, he hits this, He tries to swing volley, hits into the net. Then on the next point, he slips and whiffs. I mean, and then and then and then from there, and then he got back a little in the tiebreak, but everything kind of unraveled once he lost that tiebreak. Look, Federer brought me personally and fans all over the world a lot of joy in this tournament. It was a fun ride. Um, I enjoyed it very much. It was nerve wracking at times. And um, he enjoyed it himself. He said so. So if people are enjoying him and he's enjoying it, then um, job well done. I mean, way to go. And he made the quarters. And he even said in the press conference, he was kind of surprised that he did that well. It's, it's, he's still in, in his mind and kind of rehab. And he's not going to retire. He just said it. So I know there are a million people talking about that they think he should retire. But guess what? He doesn't care what you think. And he's not going to retire. So sit with that, okay? (laughs) Get ready for more of us talking about his matches, including the Olympics and the U.S. Open, um, because he's just not done yet. And I love that. I love that. He writes his own script. Roger Federer writes his own script. Spot on. And in an individual sport, why not? And I, I've been through this so much with so many players and seen this happen. And people's demand for it has to do with their connection to mortality. They don't want to see <clears throat> Superman eroding. And you made a great point, Amy, about how neat it was. Yeah, Federer got to the quarters at the age of 39. That's a pretty good effort to get that far. Of course, the thing is the standard he set the last time he was here, he had two championship points. So it's it's different than the old war horse having one last run. So the expectation hope that, wow, could he could he win it this year? Could he get to the finals, semis? And 
okay, so is the quarters. And he said he and his team were pretty happy about that, though, of course, you still got to think he was uh, not pleased with the flow of this match. No one wants to lose a, a match in straight sets and have the final set be a bagel. Well, the Roger Federer media team should uh, cut up the what uh, Amy just said and like put it in their next promo. Like that was a WWE level promo there, Amy. That was very I I enjoyed that a lot. Al, sit on sit with it. <laughs> that's right. That that's right. That Roger's gonna be now. He's gonna do, he's gonna let us know about the uh, the Olympics possibly and other things, but he's gonna. Do as he does, but again, this match it was uh, it was a little frustrating to watch him stagger and stumble at times. So he didn't exactly fall, go out on his shield the way you'd want to see some kind of six-four in the fourth set or fifth set in this drama. It just kind of like went on out. Well, speaking of uh, stumbling and slipping, I, I think. We probably all agree that the slip in the tie break when he had the sitter was just, you know, the the capper sort of of a very frustrating day for him. I mean, it was windy. Um, and <laughs> look, I know professional tennis players are supposed to be able to deal with wind and and um, but he was very aware of the wind, you know, whether he was in it to his to his face or to his back um it was it was something that hadn't really been a factor until that point in the tournament and uh and then he slips on the grass and it just kind of maybe in his mind he thought to himself this wasn't my day and um and then it just snowballed from there that slip that you're talking about when he had a high volley that looked like an easy put away and he never even was able to get a racket on it that came on the heels of a string of points. Joel mentioned the forehand swing volley netted, but at, at one all, he had a very close range forehand pass. And maybe it's because Hubie Hercotch is like too nice a guy, but that ball should have gone at Hubie's chest very fast and hard. And instead, it was massaged down the line. So Hercotch could extend his arms and he just finished an, a neat backhand volley winner. Um, there were so many points early on in that tiebreak where really Federer should have had a, a massive lead early on there, and he didn't. But, um, but I think also kind of the point that is being made is pre-tournament, if you said, Federer, you're going to lose in the quarterfinal, he takes it. You just don't know if he's going to take it. Well, not, not only are you going to lose in the quarterfinal, but you're going to get bageled in the third set. Is that accurate, well, you think? Well, what's, what's the... Uh... What's the opposite of not taking it, saying I want more? Well, saying like I, I, would, I expected to do better than that. But maybe I not because I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of interesting things about outcomes and expectations and desires. Yeah, look, you can always in the end say, yes, I'm glad I did this and I'm happy. I don't think he did all of his training, his rehab, his clay schedule, his withdrawal from the French Open to be content with exiting one round further at Wimbledon. I don't think a court, that doesn't mean he's dissatisfied because the, the genius of Roger Federer is his content, is his state of contentment with what the world is. So it's not like he leaves here thinking, oh my God, I can't believe, he, he just, okay. I mean, he takes a pragmatic view. He's gonna, he's obviously maybe a little upset about things like anyone would be after us, but he's, 
he's always looks at things kind of tranquilly and realistically. So, but I, I'm not so sure he would have been um, doing cartwheels if you told him he's going to get to the last eight here. Well, Gil, I think you brought up a good point about that should have gone at Hubie's chest. Um, there were several, he, her, her catch passed very well today. I thought he had dozens of great passing shots. And um, there were times when I was like, really, Roger, that's your approach? I mean, because you're going to have to do more than that. Or they were talking about it on the US ESPN telecast that, okay, you can do a swing volley there. But Brad Gilbert said, if you do that, just know you're giving the guy time to, to do something with that. Um, so uh, dovetailing with that, the, the, one of my favorite quotes from the Federal press conference was, quote, I have a lot of ideas on the court, but sometimes I can't always do what I want to do. So as he continues this process of coming back from taking so much time off, I think his mind is, is and it's an aging mind, it is, but I think he's still trying to sort out in the moment exactly what he wants to do and what he can do. And if the body cooperates, I mean, that very point you mentioned, Gil, to get a little granular on that, he hits the pass and Herkacz hits the backhand volley angle. It wasn't a total winner. Fetter had a chance at it, but he wasn't quite as agile. And is that just the moment? Or is that when we think, well, gee, five years ago, is Roger on that shot? And then he nice it down the line. And this gets to the whole physiology, physical aspect of the player aging and, and their agility. His movement looked worse today for me than it has, uh, you know, than it had in, in the previous round against, uh, against Nori and against Sinego. I just thought he looked slower today. And maybe that's just a function of at that age, sometimes you wake up and your body doesn't have it that day. It's also a function of playing a top 20 opponent. You know, you're, you're using, he was against, I mean, this is, this is a higher level. I mean, this guy won Miami. I mean, this is against a higher, a significantly higher level opponent than anyone he's played this mm -hmm. whole Wimbledon. Right. So yeah, I mean, a little, that's going to make you look a little slower and that because he's going to he's going to do things for you. he's going to compromise. I mean, like Amy said, he was moving so well and hitting quality passing shots and all these things. I mean, he was pretty, pretty focused from start to finish. I guess the question going back to the to the big picture about Rogers level and a lot of people take this match and how he lost and kind of say, OK, well, this this shows and Roland Garros showed that Federer will never contend for slams again. And obviously that could be true or it could be untrue. Nobody can tell the future. But I don't think it's uh, unreasonable to look at this and think, well, this is still a Roger Federer who had less than ideal preparation coming into Wimbledon is pretty much freshly off. Uh, you know, just his, his rehab and being ready to play. He's only been really touring post knee surgery. If you get rid of that weird Doha tournament that he played and then didn't play afterwards, if you get rid of that. He's been touring for about six weeks now. So that's not a very long time. And it's not unreasonable to think that maybe in 2022, we don't get a worse version of Roger Federer because he it's because he's a year older. We get a better version of Roger Federer because he's got his rhythm and and he has some matches under his belt. Maybe, I mean, I like I I, I see that scenario and maybe and maybe if you really look down the road because he's just said he's not he's gonna figure out soon about the Olympics. You got that U.S. hardcore. 
maybe the prep for 22 begins in some form of the fall in Europe. And he gets in some comfortable indoor matches in the places like Vienna and Basel. And that lays the groundwork for what could come in 22. But that's, that's a ways away. So in the meantime, we've got to think, how does he then manage his summer? Um, mm -hmm. Does he, you know, whether it's the Olympics and then the two pre-open uh, North American tournaments, does he necessarily plays both? I mean, it's just you know, a lot of stuff. It's so, so tricky in this sport because you need to have those matches, but you don't have too, you don't have too many of those matches. You don't want the body to break down. What, what do you think? How would you manage the, the summer if you're Roger Federer, Amy? I would play because, you know, he says that he wants to be a better player. He needs to figure out how to get in better shape. It's hard to believe, but <laughs> that's what he's saying. And, and how to, he, twice he said, I need to find out how to be more competitive. He used that phrase twice. So um, if, if that's really the case, then play, play the Olympics. Although I understand, you know, having a family myself, I understand that it's tough to just go away and be away from your family in, in some sort of strange bubble where you can't be around your loved ones for that amount of time. And it's nervy over there with the situation with the pandemic. But if he feels up to it, I'd love to see him play and, um, you know, maybe play uh, a couple of hard or one big hard court Cincinnati, what have you. See, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I think what he means by shape, I think he means match shape. I don't think he means physical. I think he just means match shape because I think every player needs to have their, particularly Federer, like he talks about those, those, those array of tools. He needs to, it's kind of like a, a multifaceted offense. You know, as if all the parts and pieces going. So those movements like that, like that easy volley, it's not a swing volley, it's a drop volley. That passing shot, it's, you crack it right at the guy. You know, all those kind of things. There's so much fast paced instinct to Federer, probably more than any of our three, He's the one who relies on most quick second decision making because he's well he was asked you know did you have enough matches or match prep to get you into match shape and he said yeah i did that wasn't it yeah but i don't um, think he would have said no i don't think he would have said no even if it was true but he I, did say better shape um yeah so take that you know from for, take from it what you will well and i think the summer that the summer is really interesting i you know i at one level, I bet in Federer's camp, he wishes, gee, I wish there just wasn't the Olympics at all. So I could just kind of like do a little North American focus, play two of those events, get in six matches, North America, point towards the US Open. Now there's the Tokyo aspect, which is highly appealing to him on many levels, including commercially. That uh, hmm. That's a really interesting thing. But the, the factor of Tokyo and the pandemic. So I think you're onto it, Amy, where it's, it's Tokyo, it's one North America, TBD, probably Cincinnati, where he's won a bunch of times, though he's done one in Canada too. And then, okay, let's see how we can bring it to New York. Yeah, I think, I bet, I think that's the, the scenario. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Olympic decision is interesting because you do have the family situation. The bubble is so uncomfortable for people like, you know, we, we see Serena Williams, for example. To me, the Olympics for her, non-starter. Like, she's just not going to leave her, her family for that. So for Federer, there might be those, those kinds of considerations, maybe on a less extreme level than, um, than Serena. But uh, on the other hand, I think there are tennis reasons, strictly tennis reasons that do make the Olympics very appealing. Good conditions for them. Uh, best of three commercial uh, reasons, right? So I, I do think that, that there's some things there. Um, for, for the retirement thing, it, is it, I think some people assume that when Roger, that if Roger isn't going to get back to a level where he's contending for majors, then he's going to stop playing tennis. I don't think that's a fair assumption. Are we, do, do you agree? I don't think that's yeah. fair. I agree with you because I think that's always, I knew I've heard this for 40 years with number ones. When someone's been a, a number one, and they've held number one ranking for triple digit weeks. How could they even, how could we even imagine them wanting to play if they can't be a, a contender? And in their mind, they're always gonna be a contender because they've been a factor. So they're gonna do it and they're gonna play. And it's, it becomes a lot of this kind of like, uh, you know, sports radio talk, which is, I guess, what we, what we're, what we could do too. But it's just, it's, and it's, I think he's gonna play as long as he, like Amy said at the beginning of the show, as long as he enjoys playing and also putting in the work to be ready to play. And that's something he never seems to back off of. I mean, Pete yeah. Sampras was one, uh, wrung out. He had enough of practice, enough of training, enough of that. Okay. So that what he knew it and he knew you, you'd be cheating the game. If you showed up at Wimbledon, think you could just roll out and start playing. Federer doesn't back off that. So, so yeah, he's going to do what he does. And, and the, the great thing about a sport like this, the marketplace tells you, the game starts to tell you, you know, if it, the ranking, the losses, the situations. And, and we know that Federer is going to, when he decides to end it, it will be extremely well thought out. He could actually take a page from Venus Williams because after a lot of talk that Venus Williams needs to, needs to just stop, she just was like, no, I'm not stopping. And she just you know, she continues to qualify for tournaments. Yeah, maybe she'll take some hits because the, the protected ranking won't be into play anymore. But um, she just continues to play and all that talk has died down now. Now we're finally at a point where when we see Ven Venus Williams enter a tournament, we're happy to see her. And it's well, less about when are you going to give it up, you know? Um, I just, um, I hope that the constant pressure of turning older and, you know, he is at that point where you're at the decade marker and the decades are, you know, they're tough. Um, but uh, 
if you can in your mind be right with it and kind of drown out the what people are saying around you about that decade marker then you'll be fine and he may actually find some freedom after he goes ahead and turns 40 and then has some successful matches and tournaments and that kind of thing well if no one is better at tuning out everything than roger federer i mean that's why he's so downstream when you see him at tournaments everywhere and uh yeah, a little bit. On the other hand, it's a little bit like that uh, thing I heard someone say. So the years have been kind to me overall, but uh, the days and the weeks, not always so. I mean, so Federer of late, I mean, yeah, he knows in the big picture how glorious it's been. And a lot of this has been just gravy. He's been saying that for four or five years now, since the 2016 injury and the, and the comeback. So so we'll see. I mean, it's going to be, of course, it's going to be interesting. I, I'll be, I think I'm really curious to see how he, where he goes on the Olympics how he plays that one out. Um, because I, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm certain he will play one pre-US, at least one pre-US Open tournament. Now the question is what, what he opts to do with the Olympics, given the significance of that to him and, and the world and his global sense of himself too. Yeah. Uh, again, Roger Federer says he's going to have a conversation with his team. He never says, by the way, I need to make a decision. It's always, we're going to have a meeting. The, the team is going to get together. Never, I got to decide, which I, I find well, interesting. He's not going to give anyone a severin package. That's a bad pun. Um, he's going to just um, huddle. I mean, and, and it's a great team. I mean, him and his manager, Tony Godsick and Lubacek and, and probably just maybe his, even his parents out in Merck, of course. Just, mm -hmm. I, I think Fetter has that really, it's very smooth. Well, quietly, um, Novak Djokovic is in the Wimbledon semifinal, his, uh, his 10th semifinal at the All England Club, really, really large, healthy number. Uh, and uh, it's straight sets today against Marton Fucevic. I, I mean, I think it was uh, the most difficult match he's had. How's that statement? It was straight sets, but, and the first round was four sets with Draper, but I think this was the, the most difficult test, even, even if, even if it was uh, relatively comfortable. Yeah. Some good rallies, some exertion, some things. And yet in the meantime, it is kind of like an interesting, interesting day for, for our two members of the three who are here. I mean, lots and lots around Federer. We talked about it and then Novak just, okay. Yeah. Straight sets, good rallies, mild exertion onwards to the semis. I feel like the rest of the world was not watching the same match that I was watching because I thought it was a bravura performance from Novak. Um, I mean, it reminds me a lot early in my career, I covered golf a lot and, and uh, was there for the heydays of Tiger Woods. And the more dominant you are, there's some sort of bias, the more dominant people expect you to be. And they just get it in their head that if you are not stepping up every single time, then, ooh, there was a hitch or you're not, you're not in top form. That's what I saw on Twitter. Like even some of his super fans, um, Novak is not in top form to be, to be TBH, you know, to be honest. Um, I thought he was in top form. Uh, and, and people have to remember, like, I just played a match the other day. First set, I went up a couple of breaks. And then I thought, I'm up a couple of breaks. 
I think I'm going to try and work on some different aspects because I've got some cushion here. And that may be what he was doing. It, it might have been so easy for him. In, that, in the first set? In the first yeah. set? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Novak was um, up five love and then. Right, right. And then, you know, I, I got a text from you guys saying a bit of a hiccup there. And I'm thinking to myself, he just won the set 6-3. <laughs> It's like, we just expect him to be this machine and the better he does, the more we expect that. But he may be playing a different game. And, and I thought that he was just pretty much toying with uh, Huskovich. Yeah, but you don't think, you surely don't think if someone's up 5-0 in a Wimbledon quarter that they decide, they, they, may, they may attempt some things, but do you think they, they don't, they don't want to attempt these things and suddenly have it be 5-3? I mean, I'm sorry, I, don't I, yeah, I, I actually, if you're Novak Djokovic, I actually do think you might try some drop shots or do some things to get the feel of certain things that you might not in it, what you think is going to be um, a super tight match. I think actually he might've been trying some different well, things. That's such an interesting thing about Novak. You know, it's interesting. Novak has won with a, no one has a, 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 a everyone's skill set is narrow compared to Federer. So when Federer is doing these different things, they're just seen as part of the Federer core operating system. So you might be onto something where Novak, Novak has, these, has fewer core competencies than Roger. So now he's doing stuff that's a little beyond it. And you're right. And so then I'm getting kind of, um, oh, Novak, what are you doing? Like, we'd never say that about Roger. There's nothing right. Roger does. Roger can hit inside out tops and backhands and just adds, oh, look at the Roger artistry. We're never thinking... We're never thinking that he's experimenting. He's just being Roger. But you're right, Novak. Hey, why aren't you just hitting cross court and down the line like usual? So, so maybe that's something. I'm, I'm sure he didn't mean for it to get to, to five three, but then he closed it out pretty simply, and and the next yeah. two also. So, that that's and and nowhere do you sort of, as you guys know, because you play, nowhere do you sort of like mess around with things than on your serve. Like you're like, well what if I tried serving up the tee, even though normally conventional wisdom says go out wide here, or, you know, what if I serve in volley on 30 all normally I wouldn't do that, but you know, let me, so you start playing around, but then if it gets dicey and it doesn't work and then you go, Nope, zip it up. Now, now I'm going to shut it down. And, and I do think that somebody as great as Djokovic has the ability and the power to do that. Well, right, and the serve is the shot that allows you the most command start the point in a way that's, you know, the other, the, the return reacting, you can experiment with, you can say you want to experiment things with return, but you're kind of at the mercy of the server, whereas the serve, you can say, yeah, I'm up 4-0, but I don't know, that's an interesting thing. I mean, my, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, one of the reasons I like Ash Barty a lot is because I like, um, and I do this too, the toothpick by toothpick assembly. You know, I, I don't, I try not to get, um, but I experiment, my, my game has a lot of experiment throughout, but then not experiment diversity, but I'm not quite sure I'm going to get too adventurous. Like if I'm serving at 4-0, I just want to get that set done by what I've been doing to reach 4-0 mm -hmm. on it. I'm not going to suddenly pull out the, um, start doing, uh, wheelies. Yeah. And then there are times and places to do that, but you know, again, we aren't him. So I guess my point is let's not all assume that just because we perceived some hitches or hiccups that this wasn't a totally dominant straight set performance. Even coming off the, 
the court, the first question to him is, wow, no, it's not, hey, you're into the semifinals. The first question to him is, um, he made you work hard. Well, he did. Dude, I just had a straight sets win to make the semifinals. Okay, I dominated but, the guy. But he did. But he did. There were some good arduous rallies in that match. But Okay. Still. First of Go all, Fuchovic played better after he was down five love because the stress was immense early on for him and he did not play well. So there's two players in the match. Let's not just talk about Novak. Fuchovic raised his level and then Novak closed it out. But uh, I think for the rest of the match, here's like the juxtaposition. I think when people say, well, Novak didn't play as well in this match, uh, I, I get that. I saw that as well, but it was really windy. So Fuchovic didn't play as well in this match either. Like, the conditions were, were not ideal. I think the players, uh, for as well as they move, both of them, for how well they cover the court, they uh, actually force each other into missing and making errors. But ultimately, I thought it was Novak versus the wind and Fuchovic for a little while. And uh, that just made it a more difficult match for him. But he figured it out. He looked a lot better playing um, against the wind for some reason. Lots of drop shots, lobs, better against the wind. Footwork was better. But with the wind, I think it took him a while to kind of figure out his footwork and his timing when it counted for all second set. He gets the break. He gets it done. Well, and the wind, um, I don't know if you guys, I think it's much easier to play against the wind than with the wind. Much easier to play against the wind because you can, I mean, then it, with the wind at your back, a lot of a lot of control issues. Not all of us, it was as much topspin as you go. Yeah. You know well, I mean? I, I, <laughs> heavy topspin or big servers. I think a big server wants to play with the wind. Yeah. I, I was, I was just going to say, I like to serve with the wind, but ev pretty much everything else I like to do against the wind. Cause you can swing as hard as you want, basically, as long yeah, as you and the things like drop it. shots, like if you, the wind in your back, the drop shot is like, sorry, not happening. Volleys. I've had a lot of, I've a lot of interesting dialogue. Some people think it's great to volley the wind because the passing catch are harder. Someone else told me harder to volley with the wind because the precision is off. So you can't volley as much to the corners. And so there's different things. Uh, and then Gil, you and I exchanged a text during it about uh, of our three. Did you think Novak is the worst of the win? Well, first, Nadal is unquestionably the best of the three. Agreed. The wins. Agreed. Unquestionably yep. the margin, the, 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 the suffering, the whole thing. He's, he, 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 he may be the best win player ever. Whereas uh, uh, I'm not sure. What do you guys think, Roger or, um, or Novak on windy days? I oh, think Roger did not assert, um, do yeah. anything in his favor today. <laughs> yeah, today. No, I know today, right. Certainly not today, but I just right. mean overall, I think because of style, but work, I would think Novak would be better at than Roger, but you know, I haven't looked at all the record, but I think Novak's game can lend itself to more win. Roger's the one with more precision and angles and things. He yes. Wants to do. But, but I, I found the, the Federer serve is uh wind proof. And I think that that's been the thing that stuck out to me throughout his career more than anything is that like the winds gusting 20 miles per hour and you're serving 20 aces while the other players double faulting. I've seen that act a couple of times. And then uh, wind is about, is about footwork. It's about, it's about moving to the ball and making those little adjustment steps. And I think that's what Novak really had to, to work on when, uh, 
when he was playing with the wind and the ball was stopping up. And that's when you saw kind of the off balance ground strokes for him. And I think Rogers just, just a little bit better with his feet. Um, And I, I don't, I don't think uh, I think Novak prefers the quiet conditions um, compared to everyone. Everyone prefers quiet conditions, except Nadal. I think Novak versus Federer slight edge to Federer. Okay. I don't want to have recency bias, but I think this was Federer's problem today. Like he had a ton of forehand errors and it it was because he wasn't, I mean, they said on the telecast, I think James Blake said it, it's because he wasn't taking those small adjustment steps. So uh, the wind really surprisingly um, did Federer no favors today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Novak gets Denis Shapovalov next. He's the uh, a player who has way bigger weapons than anyone Novak has had to deal with thus far. So let's talk about him. It is a 6-0 head-to-head for Novak, but uh, I, I think at this point it's a little bit misleading because they played one, two, three, four times in 2019. Novak was destroying him every single time that year, but now we have a different Denis Shapovalov. Uh, 2020 was a third set tie break in the ATP cup. And then earlier this year, again, at the ATP cup, it was a seven, five, seven, five. So the sets are close again. Shapo's got as much firepower off the ground as anyone on tour, no hyperbole. So what kind of problems does that uh, pose to Djokovic? And also why do you think Novak has, uh, has yet to, to fall to the Canadian? Well, I think uh, Novak has been more consistent and Dennis is in the stage of his career. Where he's going, He's not just going this way. He's going. He's going this way, and he's making these rapid gains. And this was a a, a big win, a big effort for him to beat Hatchinoff and and get to the semis after being down two sets to one. Um, There's gonna be a lot of energy in this match. I mean, that Dennis, he's like a he's like a fighter pilot, man. He's just burning fuel left and right. Um, so I'll just use this uh, tennis adage: serves and nerves, because his serve can get a little yippy on him with the toss and the motion and then if Novak starts to see that like the dentist I've described him that could be fatal but in the meantime it's going to be I, I'm, I'm really excited to watch this match because I think uh, Shapovalov is in one of these stages where whoever he plays it's exciting to watch I agree I think, I think you guys are right that he's made leaps and bounds because when I think of Shapovalov I always think of just this incredibly flashy backhand where it's almost always he's almost always catching air it's almost always the leaping one-hander which is you know you see that on the two-hander but to see it on the one it's just an incredibly flashy shot and people keep telling me no he's shorted up you got to sit down and really watch him this Wimbledon he's he's really uh playing a lot smarter so I, you know, um, I'll be interested to see if Novak really tries to rally to the Shapovalov forehand or backhand more, because forehand is typically where you draw the errors, but with a one-hander, sometimes you flip that, and then the fact that he's a lefty makes it even more complicated. Yeah, I think, really I think it's really entertaining. I think it's really entertaining. A lot of rallies, a lot of different rallies. Yeah, I like your point about the backhand, how it's kind of this this flashy shot, which then you wonder about the sustainability. And yet, and yet here he is in the Wimbledon semis because he watched it. Like I watched him play a bunch of times this year. He almost beat Nadal earlier this spring. And he, um, he keeps taking the cut, taking the cut. And he's, 
and he's fit and strong and he's still in the in the blooming phase of his tennis career so i think we've both uh, you guys both pinpointed kind of the downfall of Shapo. shot selection consistency those two things are married i don't think there's a better test of shot selection and consistency in all of tennis and patience i'll throw in that that word it's a virtue than playing Novak Djokovic with his average depth of trade. If you are looking at every ball and thinking, Oh, this is what I'm going to try to hit a winner on your ball is going to fly all over the place because Novak doesn't give you a lot. That's attackable and you need to wait and wait and wait. And it's going to require patience uh, to, to construct a point against Novak. And I think thus far Chapo's getting better and better and better and more patient but now we'll really see where the level is at with Dennis's shot selection and consistency. So maybe no one of our three more than Novak tests your maturity factor. I mean, Nadal yep. tests some other factor that's the fighting arduous and, and Federer, it's, it's almost as if you just have to play something and just play the ball and deal with the Roger Federer magic. So maybe Novak is the most yeah, so many hits, so many deep balls, so many balls. No, you're not attacking. You got to just, you got to stay in this rally too, buddy, until you get your chance. Right? And Dennis is just like, he's, he's ready to go. So you're right. That's going to be very interesting to see how he handles that, handles those kind of rallies. Another thing I don't think we, we talk about with Novak enough is how little time he gives his opponents. And I think what, what's happened with Chapo throughout the tournament against Murray and RBA just not very big hitters, and he's just had time, and he's looked incredible with that time. And then Hachinov uh, was playing the ball earlier and hitting bigger, and now Shapo's in a dogfight. It's a totally different match. And then again, I think Novak's a level raise with how early and hard he takes the ball. So look out for that. You know, we look at Nadal as the player who hits harder, and maybe Federer, um, to, to an even greater extent, takes your time away. But you don't have a lot of time when you're playing Novak. I don't think of uh, Nadal as necessarily hitting the ball harder than Djokovic. I think he's got really? the RPMs, but as far as like through the court and the the, the flat deep factor and the the, That's true. the the sustainable depth. I mean, Nadal. Nadal is more a, a height and speed and spin. That's what makes the clay thing against Nadal so so brutal. But for example, Novak moving through air and. And you're right, having on you, on you, on you, on you. I mean, I don't know. He's Federer, Federer does it in his whole different way. It's kind of that dissection. It's I, I think of these X's and Y's going across the court with Federer. With Novak, it has this more straight, seemingly linear, but not quite linear. I just think with Chapo's longer strokes, like Amy, you're a one-handed backhand. How yeah. much does that shot change? based on how much time you have to just, you know, load it up and, and with your take back and all that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, and I, I would think, especially on grass, it just becomes a slice. I mean, when the balls hit to that wing, you, you have to make a, a quick decision and it's a decision as a one hander that isn't even always conscious decision. Like I'm good. You don't think to yourself, I'm going to hit slice. You just do, or you don't think to yourself, I'm going to, 
drive this ball or you don't think to yourself okay here's i'm really on the defense so i'm gonna have to put a ton of air under it you know and hit that shot um you just do but um I, you know the the old dennis i'd be really worried because he tends to be very aggressive with that shot i'd be worried for him um but when i gil when i was just saying like how will novak rally um, will he rally more to Shapovalov's forehand or his backhand? You said backhand. So I, I find that really interesting. I'll, well, I'll tell you why. Yeah, tell me. The backhand needs time. It's not that, it's not that his backhand is just going to miss randomly. It, it, you know, it's not, it's not a gift, but if, it's, if, if he doesn't have time on it, it, that's where it starts to miss. And the forehand is just a little bit more compact. It's still a big swing, but it's more compact. Well, the forehand is also capable of hitting it uh, down the line in ways in which the backhand down the line needs to be inside the court. The one-handed backhand, hitting a one-handed backhand from behind the baseline, driving it is a tough, tough thing. And he does, and, and have that much time. If he had that much time, then he'd probably hit a cross court anyway. So the, the other thing with the one-hander as having one myself if you just drive it, if you drive it back to someone who's a strong baseliner, it's not really clear what traction you're really gaining from that anyway. It's a shot that's maybe, okay, 80% as good as a clean foreign. So what are you really accomplishing with it? And I think that's what's going to be the, the intrigue of this match is how Dennis with his lefty backhand, they like to say cross court all the time. What's he really accomplishing against Novak that way? That's what's interesting, how he's looking to construct rallies. I would love for someone like uh, our mate Craig O'Shaughnessy to do kind of a map out of how a lefty gets into a lefty with a one-handed backhand like this gets into Novak. Whereas if he was a lefty with a two-handed backhand, you think, hmm, I'm going to drive it down the line. I'm going to redirect. What's that going to be? Well, he used to go down the line a lot more with the, with the one-hander. And I think they, they got him to stop doing that because it was so inconsistent. It also um, opens up the court more. I mean, unless... Yeah, you, you take a one end back, and if you're inside the court, and you can really, you know, blister it down the line like Federer does sometimes, and Federer swing much shorter than Dennis, much more right. compact swing. That's one thing. But okay, so you're a lefty, and you're trying to crack a a, a backhand, a one hand backhand down the line in a world where everybody has a darn good two hander, and then the guy can send you on the trolley to your back the other way. What are you doing? Go back, go back cross court, and then. And then if you go cross court and he brings the forehand vaguely cross court, but not sharply cross court, you run around and you crack the lefty forehand. 100%. All right, let's end on, on what we are looking forward. One thing we're looking forward to in this match. So I'll give you time to think and I'll answer first. I love watching Novak, especially on this surface against great offensive players such as Roger Federer and I think Dennis is like that great offensive player because I like watching him move and defend on grass. It's one of the, the most entertaining things in, uh, in tennis, in my opinion. So I'm looking forward to watching Dennis hit bombs and Novak trying to uh, defend on the warning track, so to speak. Joel? I Go ahead. I want to see Dennis um, get his way to net a few times and see how that might go because I've always... I've always wanted to see Novak, and we've seen it in limited occasions against Federer, Novak versus a net rusher. Again, I'm not saying Dennis is going to become Patrick Rafter Jr. and come to net 30 times a set, but I just want to see Novak under attack volley pressure 
of sorts, whether it's from good approach shots or things like that, forced to have to come up with more passing shots. I, I'd be, I want to see that happen just to see how it plays out. I think Shapovalov is a guy who often takes sets off of great players and he could take a set off of Novak. And he has a ton of energy, like Joel said, and Novak has a ton of energy. So I'm looking forward to the energy of the match. And if Shapo is able to get a set off of Novak, I'm looking forward to seeing how he will deal with that. That's a great one. There's the, I agree. There's going to be an interesting uh, fire, feisty, level of feistiness, I think, on the court. There's a good chance, at least. Um, certainly... Yeah, I, I think I think that's a good one. Um, all right, so this was a, a crazy day for both Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. Straight sets the opposite way, Novak to the semi. And uh, Roger goes out in the quarterfinal to Hubie Hercotch, so it is the Novak Djokovic show uh, from now on. You can never guarantee that, though. These guys tend to always be, uh, be around in their own ways. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like the video, leave a comment and subscribe. We'll see you next time on the next episode of three.